So like I said, we're, we're just a couple of weeks uh, out from entering the season of Advent, which is a season of waiting expectantly for Christmas Day. It's a season of remembering like how the world was once in sin and error pining as the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, sings. The world was captive to sin and idolatry, and it was waiting, it was pining for the Deliverer to come and to set it free. So there's kind of like this, a bit of gloom in the season of Advent. There's a little bit of darkness as we kind of enter that season. Like we know that good news is happening, Christmas is coming, dawn is coming, but it's still dark. And we're not going to talk much about Christmas this morning, but just for a minute, I want you to consider with me Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, when the angel of the Lord uh, tells her of God's plan and how she'll carry and give birth to Jesus Christ, God's own son, the deliverer for whom the whole earth is waiting, Mary says this, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So what she says is she says yes to God. She said yes to carrying Jesus for nine months. She said yes to being pregnant, like with all of its pains and difficulties and discomforts. But she also said yes to being pregnant, though she was betrothed to Joseph. So she said yes, like while not knowing how that whole thing would go for her and where she'd be left socially or financially. And one of my favorite scholars, N.T. Wright, he says Uh, that on Christmas Eve we ought to consider Mary in the situation of the night of Jesus' birth. That when observed properly, when Christmas Eve is observed properly, it includes the sense of the deep darkness before dawn. Like the darkness before the morning star rises. Mary, she couldn't have known that in her season of waiting and expecting that then she'd have to travel and that she'd end up like in this stable when the time came to deliver baby. It's not the safest or the best conditions for delivering baby, a baby for sure. And in the difficulty and in the darkness, she had to embrace again the suffering and the pain of childbirth and whatever may come, and she had to embrace it and say yes again. And so just for a moment, like imagine Mary's courage. What did it take to press on and press through from the time she heard that she would carry this baby to the night before she gave birth? What did it take for her to press on and press through? Just imagine her courage. Now we'll jump from Christmas and jump to Maundy Thursday. It's the night before Jesus was crucified. After the Lord's Supper, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples to pray. He knew what Friday would bring. He knew that he was going to suffer, that he knew that he was going to die, and Jesus was afraid. And he prayed to have this cup taken away from him, for there to be another way. And so he was battling in prayer, and he asked his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 41, Watch and pray that you may not enter into deception or into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then through repeated bouts of prayer, Jesus resolved to stick with the Father, to walk into the suffering and embrace the cross. And I know he's Jesus. I know he's fully God, and, and, and he, I know that. But he's also fully human, and he's like us. And so just imagine for a moment the courage that it took for Jesus to like get up from that prayer 
And if you know the story, he walked out from there to meet his betrayer, to meet those who would arrest him. Imagine the courage it took for him to get up from that prayer and walk out and meet them. What did it take to press on and press through? Like I said, this morning we're moving into this last bit of the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. The last verse of this prayer leads us to pray this. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a lot here, so we're actually going to spend two weeks together on this, on this line. And this week, I just want us to see that this is a prayer of enlistment in the work of the Lord and a prayer of submission to his leadership. And I want us to see how like praying this bit of Jesus' prayer leads us into the sort of bravery and the sort of courage that Mary and Jesus both displayed during these like pivotal moments in the history of the redemption story. So towards that end this morning, I just want us to understand three things in this prayer which will help us uh, to be led into that courage I'm talking about. First, we must understand this prayer as a call to enlist, to sign up with like intention to be those through whom God brings his kingdom to bear on earth. And then second, we need to acknowledge the reality of what we're signing up for. And then third, we need to be honest about our abilities. So first, if you'll just recall with me for a few moments the Lord's Prayer. As we've been kind of learning from this prayer and we've been practicing praying it, we've seen how the prayer, Our Father in Heaven, how this whole thing begins. Our Father in Heaven. This is proclaimed a great truth about reality to us. God, our Father, is not distant. He's not far off. Rather, He's ever-present and His presence is heavenly. He's with us. He's really good, and we can 100% trust him. Then we continued in the prayer, and we prayed, hallowed be your name, which is, is both a praise and a prayer. It's a moment of praise that, that flows from realizing the heavenly ever-presence of our Father, and it's a prayer that, like, everyone everywhere would live with an awareness of who God is and of his presence, because when we know that God is around, we all act right which leads us into this prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is a prayer that the reality of heaven where where pain and suffering and hurting one another and all that ceases to exist, it's where that would become the one reality here. And it's a prayer where all of our desires that don't align with the heart and will of God would be subverted and overturned so that we become a conduit through which this reality is experienced on earth. And and here is where we really begin to pray for God to use us, right? And then we prayed, give us this day our daily bread, where while we did pray, while we're praying for provision, we're also praying to become the provision of God for others, to actually be used in the way that he meets the needs of others. And then we prayed, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And in this Reggie led us to even like imagine what it might look like to actually work in the world to bring justice and peace and mercy and freedom to others. We even like began to imagine what a church uh, who related to the world in a way that actually brought cancellation of debts to those who are trapped in cycles of poverty and captivity might look like. Do you see it? Do you see how Jesus' prayer leads us to become part of his work? Right? Do you see how like, when we pray for his kingdom to come, 
And then he calls us to like enlist, to be those through whom he will actually bring it to bear. So then we reach this part of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I've come to know this prayer as a prayer of enlistment. We've already prayed for God to personally work in us and and also to work through us. We've sort of already been enlisting, so to speak, as we prayed through that. But the second thing I want us to see and to understand about this part of the prayer is that it's a moment like of coming to terms with the reality of what we're signing up for and then getting up and getting into the work. This prayer intentionally says, like, I know the dangers, I know the peril that I may face, but I'm in. Like, sign me up. And so this, to me, is like if Mary was praying these words with us, this would be where she would ultimately say yes. If Jesus were praying these words in the garden, this is where he resolves to press on. Now, I haven't always thought of this part of the prayer in that way, and if I'm honest with you, this part of the prayer has given me some trouble, and my suspicion is that it's probably given some of you trouble as well. I mean, what does it mean, right? Lead us not into temptation. Does God do that? Does God lead us into temptation? And why would he do that? Some comfort may come from James 1.13, where James writes, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But then the question is this, like if we know that God doesn't tempt us, then why would Jesus teach us to pray that he wouldn't? Listen to that verse from James again in its surrounding context. James 1, 12 through 18. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Tempted, tested, trials. Like these words get kind of swirled around together in our understanding, I think. But they're, they're all here in this passage together. And here James like commends those who are tested, those who endure and overcome trials. But he makes a distinction between being tested and enduring trials and temptation. You see, temptation is something that happens when we are lured and enticed like away from God and away from his way by our own desires. And when we cave to our desires, when we like in essence idolize or give our worship to our desires above giving our worship to God, we sin. And sin leads to captivity sin leads to death. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we're not necessarily praying not to be tested or even not to come up against trials. We're praying not to be given over into temptation. It's interesting that in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, 41, which I read at the beginning, Jesus tells his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Maybe an easier way for us to read this is watch and pray that you may not begin to give in to temptations. In other words, Jesus is repeatedly in that passage calling his friends to watch and pray 
that their desire for sleep in that moment, in that pivotal hour, wouldn't steal their devotion away from the Lord. That their desire for sleep wouldn't steal their devotion away from the Lord. This is, this is really why Jesus himself was so fervent in prayer that night. He knew what was coming, the suffering, the death. I mean, it's less than a day away. His spirit is willing. Like he was signed up, right? Signed up to set the captives free and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. But he knew that flesh is weak. That faced with tests, faced with trials, faced with pain and suffering and humiliation and death, the flesh will desire to cower, right? It would want to run the other way. It would give in to temptation. And so what he's praying and what he's urging his friends to pray is that his eyes be kept on the Father, that his heart be kept like full of the knowledge of who he is and what he's doing and the victory that he's winning. Ultimately, like he's praying that he not be led by the flesh, but that he be led by the Spirit. The flesh cowers in an axe for the preservation of the self. The Spirit like sweeps us into the reality of like the enormity and the power and the presence of our Father and of His redemption story so that we can like courageously act for the glory of God in all things. The flesh cowers, but the Spirit makes us brave. Brian Baldwin, who some of you may know and remember from Envision Atlanta, uh, actually preached through this a passage not too long ago through the Lord's Prayer, and he shared it with me. And I really appreciated something he said. He said, we ask God to lead us away from that which we cannot lead ourselves away from. We're asking God to lead us away from that which we cannot lead ourselves away from. This is a prayer asking for the Spirit to overcome our cowardice. So personally, I've been praying it this way. Lead us, not into temptation, which is where we would lead ourselves, but lead us through it. This is a moment of coming to terms with what lies before us. Like you want to enlist to be part of the work of God's kingdom. You want to be part of God's provision for another. What's, going to, what's it going to cost you personally? Is it going to cost you money? It might cost you time. Time that your flesh doesn't really want to give up. Sleep that you find precious. Maybe resources that you have dog-eared for something that you really want. Do you want to forgive debtors? Like you want to see poverty cease? You want to see the church be an answer for like health care cost issues? You want peace on earth? Like what's it going to cost us? Are you laying your weapons down first? And how vulnerable does that make you? Who's going to enter the public square and be a voice for the voiceless? And how will that subject you to ridicule and looking like a fool? What church is going to give an extra like 10% across the board to donate to the cause of helping those in need? Or what church is going to like close its doors, sell its property, sell its resources, join up with another local body in order to give the resources in a way that can make a difference? Who's going to start giving reparations when reparations haven't been demanded? What's that going to cost us? So we can ask to be a part of what God is doing in this prayer all throughout it over and over and over again. But we need a moment to come to terms with the cost. We need a moment to like recognize the reality of the darkness that exists before us. 
when we're signing up to be part of what God is doing, we're likely signing up to die to many of our own cherished like wants and desires. And we're going to need help getting through to the other side of that without giving in to our desires of our flesh. So what we're really praying is lead us not into temptation, which is where we lead ourselves, but lead us through it. Lead us not into temptation, but through it. So like I said first, this is a prayer of enlistment. Secondly, it's a moment to consider the reality of what we're signing up for. It's a moment to count the cost, as Jesus tells his disciples to do. And then third, the third thing we must do here is come to grips with our own abilities or the lack thereof. And I guess what I really mean by this is that we must come to grips with the reality that apart from God, we don't stand a chance. We don't stand a chance. We're not left there, though, especially as we continue through the end of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like, we're being led to realize that, realize that while apart from God we can't defeat evil, with Him, evil cannot defeat us. I mean, just think about it. Like, apart from Him, there's no way that we kill our own selfish desires in order to provide for somebody else, especially somebody who doesn't like or won't or isn't planning to give us any sort of gratitude or glory in return. Like, no way do we sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. No way do we bless our enemies. Maybe once. Not regularly. But even if we did, even if we found it in ourselves to somehow do that, right? Even if we did it somehow for the rest of our lives without his help, without his leading, how big of a difference could we actually make on our own in this whole wide world? You know, for me, sometimes everything just slows down enough for me to really notice how big the world is and how tiny I am. Like sometimes, like when I'm praying this Jesus prayer, my eyes are open enough for me to see how big of a problem evil really is in this world and how very little I can do to stop it from creating a living hell for many, many people. But this prayer reminds me that I'm not the leader. Thank God. Like, honestly, if it's up to me to win the war against evil, then I'm like looking over the battlefield at all the evil, like complexly woven into this world. And I'm saying, like, no way can we do this. No way can we win this. And I'm cowering. I'm self-preserving. But the Lord's prayer, like, catches us up into a reality and a story that's bigger than ourselves. And it leads us to put our trust solely in God as we pray, lead us. You lead us. Our Heavenly Father is with us. He's the one leading the way. We aren't left to fight this fight on our own. The creator of all things is leading the charge. The one who marched into death, even death on a cross, and defeated it once and for all through his resurrection, that's who we're with. That's whose side we are on. Like, who can stand against him if death is defeated? And who can stand against us if we're with him? So this is where we step firmly into this reassurance that while apart from him, we can't defeat evil. With him, evil cannot defeat us. 
He's making all things new. That's happening. The kingdom is coming. That's happening. The battle belongs to the Lord. His victory is a lock. And come hell, high water, or death, he wins. Heaven comes to earth, and we will live forever together with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to practice praying this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And practice praying it as a prayer of enlistment in his work and submission to his leadership. Like, I want you to enlist. I want us to sign up. I want us to give ourselves to those who are hurting, who are in need, who are suffering, who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are oppressed, and so on and so forth. And I want us, when we pray this prayer, to ask the Lord throughout the prayer how he might use you in his work in order to see all things made new, in order to see his kingdom come on earth. And then, as we pray that, and as you pray that, count the cost. Like, be real. Count the cost. Consider the personal sacrifice that may be required. And then set your heart squarely back into this truth proclaimed since the beginning of the prayer. Our Heavenly Father is with us. He is good. He can be 100% trusted. And submit yourself to His leadership over your own leadership. And then see how He gives you courage. Find how being with Him makes you brave. We're going to practice this together this morning. If you'll stand with me, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together as we've done throughout this series. And I'm going to pray a line and then you can repeat the line after me. And I'm going to give us a moment just to acknowledge the words we're praying. And then we'll move to the next line. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You can have a seat. 
We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of worship and praise as we sing together. And as you come to take communion, there will be basket. There's a basket in the back where you can give your tithes and offerings. We know a lot of people do that online. A lot of it slips out of our bank account. Don't let it happen unaware. Like, let's take a moment this morning and pause. And whether we're giving in the basket or whether we're slipping out of our account, remember that God is our provider, that he is our daily bread. And, like, make your gift an act of worship. And then we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And when we come, we take the bread and we can dip it in the wine or the juice. The bread, of course, represents the body of Christ, which was given for us. And the wine and the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And as we come and we do this, we are remembering and we are proclaiming that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that the battle is won, that God is with us, and that we can 100% trust him, and that he has made us part of the family of God. And he's coming. He's making all things new. We're celebrating that, we're remembering it, and we're proclaiming it to one another in action. So if that's something that you can proclaim, come and proclaim it with us, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into that time. Our Father, you are altogether trustworthy. Like you've proven that we're not puppets, that we're not, um, we're not being used by you. We're not... Uh, you're not unsure of how things are going to turn out. You're telling a grand story of redemption. You're telling a grand love story. You're making yourself known to us. You're uh, making a great love relationship between yourself and your creation. And you've proven like time and time again that you're faithful and that you're good and that you're loving and that you're trustworthy. Ultimately, in the cross... And the resurrection. I mean, you came for us. Jesus came for us. And he defeated death. And he rose again. And you've given us our, your spirit. And you are with us always, even to the end of the age. You've made us one. You've made us a people who were not a people. You've saved us from certain sin, uh, certain death because of our sins and idolatry. And you made a way for us to enter into relationship with you, into relationship with one another, into, in, enter into an eternal relationship from here into forever of perfect union with you and with all of your creation. And you are doing it. You are making all things new. We can trust you. You're overcoming evil our flesh uh, we, are, we are forgetful people and no sooner will we walk out this door than we will forget that we can trust you and we will forget that our whole life is better lived in the spirit and our flesh will just cry out and, and raise up its voice with all its desires and whatever that would lead us away from you and your way God, I pray that you lead us not into temptation, but through it. By your spirit, like, keep all this in our heart and soul and mind. Keep you, like, 
in our sights. Fill our hearts up with the knowledge of who you are and what you're doing and who we are to you. And give us the courage and give us the bravery to like, to go, to enlist every day in, in everything that we do to make the real Jesus known to people he's often been misrepresented to even, even by ourselves. God, make yourself known among us as a people. Make yourself known in our community. Be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name.